watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases, or that's what the show used to be. Now it's about reviewing the latest streaming releases and doing so remotely. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and this month we have four movies for you. Onward, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, Extraordinary, and Sella and the Spades. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consumer moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And Send It Back means... Quarantine is too short for that mess. Yep. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, even though it's quarantine, it's still life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're not going to get this time back. So we still have to, you know, be economical about how we use it and use it wisely. And Jason, how are you and how have you been using your time? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, I I wonder how differently will sound if at all to people um, who listen to our March episode and now hear us a month deeper into quarantine. <laughs> the sound of your beard is uh, really mucking up the works. Ugh, yeah, it does that. Um, yeah, you know, I've been, I feel like things are not at all different for me than how they were when we last recorded one month ago at the end of March. Um, my job situation is still the same. I do find that I am actually less interested in going outside. Uh, it seems like I'm just getting used to it now. I'm getting used to staying inside. And the idea of going outside sounds like a whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just kind of like, eh. You know, like, it's very important to me that I get to sit by a window that has sunlight all day. That's very important to me. Like a cat. Um, Like a cat. (laughs) (laughs) and finally the long con of our friendship uh comes full circle (laughs) um so yeah as long as i can like kind of crack the window and smell the fresh air and like kind of sort of be in the sunlight through the window then i i feel like i'm good Uh, you know uh it's my little like you know emily dickinson watching the world pass by from inside moment and it's a moment that we're all in so um I, you know, there's still those days and moments where you're like, oh, boy, how much longer can I do this before I crack? Um, but and, and it's so and, and you're just like, oh, who can I talk to about this? And you remember like, oh, literally every single person is also stuck in the exact same situation. So it's going to be very difficult to find people with like good perspective because we're all going through this for the first time together. Uh, so I really don't know what like the recovery process is going to look like for all of us afterward, because it's just going to be like the entire global population all at once, just chucked back out into the world. Like, well, everyone. Okay, great. Back to it. <laughs> um, unless you live in Georgia, in which case I guess you're already out there. Already out there. Yeah. Um, do you feel like, um, you will need a, a ramp up period or do you think you'll be ready to be like just all out sends out buns out <laughs> try to keep you in again you'll bite their finger i uh, i don't know i feel like uh it depends how long it lasts you know like i'm sure that i mean i feel like it's that thing where 
you know, no matter how much time goes by, once we all like go outside and start doing normal things again, it'll, we'll just snap right back into that mm. um, because we did that for so, so long. And it's almost like that thing of like how whenever you like go home to where you grew up, you suddenly become like that person again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I feel like it'll be the same thing. Um, like our brains will just like switch back over into like the profile of who we were when we did all that stuff. I, for one, am not one of these people who's like, we're going to make a lot of meaningful changes after this, guys. No, we're fucking not. We are going to cling desperately to any sense of the before that we can find and just be like, yep, here we are. Thing, we're going to brunch. Things are good. <laughs> uh, I don't expect any meaningful political or societal change to come from this. But yeah, I don't know. I do, I, I do wonder if all of us will just get like an additional stimulus check to pay for therapy. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but even the therapists yeah, are stuck country. in this situation. No, 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 no. Um, how about you? How have you been doing? Uh, I think probably the same as, as last time. Uh, I'm doing okay. I feel like um, it's the, the back and forth between being like, wow, this is really good for me. And also this is crushingly sad and terrible um, and terrifying. So, you know, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Mm-hmm. Um it's nice to be able to do sleep in and, um, you know, not commute and be able to, you know, you know, you, I don't know. I'm the kind of person that like buys books and like never has time to read them. And, oh, and now there's, sure. I mean, I still haven't been re- reading a lot, but I've been doing yeah. some of the other hobbies that I've invested in over the years, <laughs> um, which has been nice. And it, it, I had to go out this past week. Um, my cat teacup has uh, needed some medical tests. She's doing great though. Mm. Um, a little bit of a little cat scare there, but she's doing wonderfully. Um, but like driving again, I, I guess you don't drive regularly. So I don't know. Maybe you, you get this um, more often. But I have kind of always driven all of the time. And, and now I like got in the car and I was like, oh, well, the car goes so fast. <laughs> There's so many other cars on the road. <laughs> Does the car feel weird? Do I need air in the tires? What's going on? This oh, doesn't God. feel, this thing feels wrong. Um, wow. So just kind of getting back and that was kind of weird. Um, but have you been, outside of the four movies we're going to talk about today, is there anything else you've been like watching or listening to that you are recommending at this time? Ooh, let me see. Uh, well, I will say driving wise, you know, I did. I rented a car a little over a month ago to drive back down to my office and pick up a bunch of mail. And the roads felt like a full on Mad Max situation. I don't know if we talked about this in the last episode or not, but people were just driving as if there were no longer laws. I don't know if that's been your oh, experience yeah. driving. There have been some just speed demons on the road yeah. people are like taking advantage of the fact that there's no traffic and they're going like a hundred miles an hour which is weird yeah yeah that's that's very much what i experienced um which made me feel like i'm glad i don't have a car because this would be a scary thing to be out in all the time mm. um imagine when we fly again Ooh. um let's see listening to i have been on a really uh pointless spending kick where i have been going and repurchasing albums i already own on vinyl but on special more expensive audiophile pressings of vinyl because vinyl was what already not expensive enough so <laughs> that has been the very silly thing i've been doing with my money um to feel sane um it's like my it makes me feel like i'm back in control um whenever i'm just like sitting there just furiously ordering albums over discogs 
Um, and of course, listening wise, like everyone else, I have been on a journey with the Fiona Apple album, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Wait, quick question. So what are you doing with the existing copies of the vinyl album that you have? Well, um, I, it's a good question. So what I, I have had a, a long-running process wherein I'm always pruning my vinyl collection. I'm always going through and like pulling out things that no longer spark joy. And I'm putting them in bags, and I prepare to take them to Amoeba, where I sell them back in exchange for money or store credit. Um, but, <laughs> whoopsie-daisy, that's not a thing anymore. And Amoeba now has a GoFundMe to prevent it from quite literally disappearing forever. So I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do with all these records that I'm replacing. <laughs> they are just piling up um, in bags in the living room. And uh, and then I had a brief I had a brief moment where I was like, oh, my God, normalcy, because one, two, three, four go records had an ad uh, on Facebook where they were like, hey, we're, we're starting to do buybacks again um, during quarantine. We're just like setting up one on one appointments that are done safely. And there's one on Valencia, not far from me. So I messaged them and I was like, I would like an appointment, please. And they're like, mm, only for the Oakland store. Sorry. So mm, just straight down the street from me. Mm, how about that? Yeah. Well, maybe we can coordinate and you can drive by and I'll just throw my 500 pound record bags at you. And no. uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and not blow you a kiss because I know that's what set you off last time. <laughs> I do not want to do that. <laughs> I could cut you in on the share, but uh, I hate but that's... carrying things. You hate carrying things. Yeah. What? Like, you, are you saying you've been carrying me all this time? Is that what that's yeah. supposed to be saying? <laughs> like carrying bags of stuff. That sounds like a nightmare. Like returning stuff or carrying things. Yeah. It's... No, it's true. I never. I, uh... I don't have to do that now. I always have so many um, that even though I don't live super, super far from Amoeba and the Hate, I still have always taken an Uber to take me there. Wow. <laughs> uh, just because I don't want to have to walk up Hate Street, walk up that hill carrying like 200 pound bags of records. Yeah. And people think you're like cool, like a DJ, but you're not. No, not in the slightest. No, I'm 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 very much not that. I'm just like, well, now that I bought the latest release of Tapestry, time to sell back the old one. Uh, <laughs> So. Wait, why don't you just sell them back on Discogs? Because, and that's what Scott said, um, the issue there is that then I would have to know how shipping works. And um, I would need to have, like, I would need to make sure that the FedEx or Kinko's or whatever on the corner next to me has all the specific sleeves you need for sending um, vinyl in the mail because it's, like, a very specific kind of sleeve. Uh, it's super fascinating stuff, honestly. No, you it's have not, a FedEx at, at the corner of your street. Okay, I'm just gonna we're gonna I'm gonna give you one suggestion, then we're gonna move on from this topic. Um, why don't you order the sleeves on Amazon, have them uh, delivered to you, and then you mm -hmm. could do the packaging, and then just bring them to the FedEx store on the corner. You know, maybe, but that does still honestly sound like a hassle. So we'll see. Um, but uh, but back to Fiona Apple. Have you listened to that album? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Mm, not into it. Um, not in the mood right now. Mm, mm. And yet it's it's being presented as the quarantine mood album. I know. I'm not in the same quarantine mood, I think, as other people. And also, I feel like it's the kind of album I need to listen to by myself. Yes, I very much agree with you on that point. I made the mistake of listening to it the first time with Scott over speakers. And that was a mistake because I honestly did not like it at all the first time I listened to it which really shook me up because she's kind of my number one. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and obviously, you know, she puts out an album out every eight years or so. Uh, so I can't have there be a bad one <laughs> um, because I need to listen to it for the next eight years. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, but yeah, then once I listened to it with headphones and followed along on the, with the lyrics, then I, I came to enjoy it very much. But I also, I'm, I'm with you that it does not speak to my quarantine mood. Like I, you know, I'm not in a, a cagey, angry place about mm. quarantine, which it seems like that's a lot of people are vibing off the anger of the album. Whereas I like it back in the day when she was just sad. But now, <laughs> or, you know, she was always sad with like anger as like the, you know, sort of like the undercurrent sad with right. an angry undercurrent. And now it's just anger. <laughs> now mm-hmm. it's just anger with a sort of loopy, humorous undercurrent, which is, which is kind of, you know, like it's, it's what I expect from a lot of people in my life, but not from Fiona Apple. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I feel like, you know, you know, me, not an angsty bone in my body. No. Um, could I appreciate her when I was younger in her other albums? And I didn't really even pick up on on the, the latent angst. You know, I, I it was beautiful and sad and or somehow like uh, kinetic energy that I didn't attribute to anger. Maybe like a little madness, but mm-hmm. not anger. And um, and I'm still still not an angsty bone in my body. Uh, <laughs> so not really looking for the, the angry energy at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is. It's a strange, it's a strange and, and, and unique album. That's for sure. I mean, it has Cara Delevingne on it making meow sounds. So, you know, it has, <laughs> that's, that's where we are. <laughs> that's, that's where we're at in 2020, I guess. She but, made the whole thing on GarageBand in her house. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, and she used the house as an instrument and, and, uh, and apparently this is like the first time that she really gave herself permission to like, own all the arrangements and just kind of make it exactly what she wanted to be. Uh, she said that not for any of her previous albums did she have complete creative control. And now she just kind of got it for herself. So good for her. That's what I say. True. Yeah. And that is on theme with this week's movies as well. Yeah. You know, and I will say, kick me under the table all you want, Rebecca. I won't shut up. That is uh, that is the theme song of the back and the, the before Whenever we were sitting together at the very table that I'm currently sitting at, uh, you might not have caught that reference because you didn't listen to the album very much yet. There's a song called Under the Table, and that's sort of the refrain of it. Kick me under the table all you want. I won't shut up. I won't shut up. It's a song all about how she wants to be a bitch at a dinner party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That sounds like you. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my COVID recommendation... Yeah. is something that I watched this week. Um, and the only the only bad thing about it is that there are only three episodes, but it's the Middleitch and, Sh- and Schwartz um, uh, like improv show on Netflix. Yeah, I it's been a long time since I laughed so hard I cried. Um, <laughs> but this one got me. It's like the perfect way to do improv. It's only two people. They're not obnoxious improv people because mm-hmm. that's always a thing, right? You're like, oh, there's this asshole who's like, doing too much or like just being unfunny and they're taking up all this space but it's these two and it is hilarious it is is just they they i've the hardest working hour of television i think um and it's just so funny so funny even though we can't see each other i could still feel your eyes boring into me when you said a thing about not being funny and just taking up space um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, so I, I've, I'd heard about that show. I have not watched it yet, but let me give you a tip. 
Um, those two also did what is by far the funniest episode of the Carpool Karaoke spinoff uh, that you can find on Apple TV, uh, which is a free series. Uh, it is, by and large, a really, really like sort of sorry excuse for a TV show. But um, the 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 middle the middle middle ditch and Schwartz episode is like the I can't even like having having had to watch every other episode of it. I, I, I couldn't even believe the, the release I felt watching them completely deconstruct the formula of this kind of afterthought of a show um, and the insane shit they came up with to do and all the running gags they work into like what's basically just an excuse to like get celebrities in a car and like watch them do karaoke and play dumb games. Um, so I would highly recommend that uh, as a chaser now that you've already blazed through the existing episodes of, uh, of, their, of their Netflix show. I'm so glad I brought this up. Yeah, I'm, I'm still looking forward to watching this now. <laughs> oh, what a what a nice little treat! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's hurry up so I can watch that. <laughs> I gotta go. Actually, <laughs> the movies. Like... Want to just do a quickie? Up, down, up, down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Onward, up or down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but anyway, uh, let's get to the movies, shall we? <laughs> yes, exactly. Let's blaze through. Uh, the first movie we're going to talk about this week is Onward. Teenage elf brothers Ian and Barley embark on a magical quest to spend one more day with their late father. Like any good adventure, their journey is filled with cryptic maps, impossible obstacles, and unimaginable discoveries. But when dear mom finds out her sons are missing, she teams up with a legendary manticore to bring her beloved boys back home. I was putting this movie off forever. You tried to do it last month, no? No, um, so we this would have been a theatrical release for last month. This is this will this movie will have the sort of the ignominious uh, distinction of being the last ever major theatrical release <laughs> um, uh, until the after whenever that happens. So uh, Onward was released in early March and it was, I think, the last number one movie in the country before movie theaters closed. Uh, so, but then it came to Disney plus streaming, uh, at the beginning of this month. Uh, and so, yeah, I think, yeah, March last month, it was like one of those things where you had to pay 1999 to rent it. Um, but then it came to Disney plus streaming on like April 1st. And so that's, why I'm considering it an April streaming title. Fair. I had seen the trailers for it and I think there's, is this the movie that there's still like a billboard off of like 101 with it on there. And we're just like, Oh wow. They really haven't released any new movies that there's still this billboard that's been there since like late February. I would not know, but I trust that that is probably the case. It's a weird, it's like this one. Oh, this one. And there's a Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, movie billboard (laughs) off off some highway that we keep passing and just being like, wow, really nothing else has come out. That That movie's been like in conversation forever, right? Yeah, that poor movie. You know, they went so far out of their way to like completely redesign the CG design of Sonic and then only for it to just like fall out basically right before quarantine. Possibly causing quarantine. Because it came out on like Valentine's Day weekend. um, And I think it did well. And then I think it it kind of like shut down as it would have come down anyway. And then Mm. nothing else came up after it. Anyway, onward. I was dreading this from the trailer and yeah. then you were like let's do it it's 1999 and i like was like i can't i'm not in a this early quarantine eq um <laughs> i was like i'm not in a place to 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 fill my time with something that i am dreading and also pay 1999 for it and then this time you were like it's on disney plus which i have 
So yeah. I said, okay. Jason, I have to say, I enjoyed this movie a lot more than I thought I would. Really? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, go on. Tell me why. So, nothing about this movie is appealing. <laughs> like in Pixar movies or Disney movies, there's always there's a something. There's a there's a story. There's a song. There's a little animated pet. Even the animated pet in this movie, the dragon, like house pet, oh, they yeah. have, is so, so fucking annoying and not cute. <laughs> nothing is. Everything is like just drawn to be an aesthetic that is not something that you go to the movies to see an animated cartoon about. You know, it's not like beautiful. It's it's like suburban Ohio, but in an elf land. And you, you don't quite pick up what the story is going to be about. It doesn't make sense. There's kind of like, com- seems like there's like competing stories about um, what, what they're supposed to do. Um, and even the first, maybe the the first third of the movie is also very annoying. Like the relationship between the, the uh, Ian, his brother and mother is annoying. That fucking dragon is annoying. Stepfather's annoying. You're not, you're not feeling any of these characters enough to care what happens until so far, it sort I'm of agreeing kicks. with you. <laughs> <laughs> but then I feel like when it kicks into the journey where Ian and his brother have to go and, and, and go on this quest to turn their father into like a full, um, ghost. <laughs> He's a half ghost, and they have to turn him into a full ghost. Uh, it really turns up the charm, and I think it's it's basically Chris Pratt. Um, and and as it as it really gets to the end, and they whittle down more and more of the like extraneous nonsense, and again, super uncharming side characters they pick up along the way, and it becomes just the two of them. I found it really really powerful and um, unexpectedly charming and sweet. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my review. <laughs> uh well, uh yeah, I think when I was I was texting you when I was watching it and I was like, yeah, it's on Disney Plus, like just watch it. I don't think it's going to be a trigger for you. And it sounds like I was right. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh you were at no point emotionally uh taken to you were not taken to your emotional danger zone by this movie. Nope. But I did cry. Yeah, and 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 for unrelated, non-cute animal reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is really something because I feel like that doesn't happen very often with movies. Oh no. Oh. Uh, um, part of why I hated this movie, <laughs> which was, <laughs> spoiler. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a few reasons. Uh, you know, first off, um, I don't care about dad stories. Just as a general rule, um, dad stories don't do anything for me. Uh, so I was in no way invested, uh, in the dad factor of this movie, which is the only factor it has. Mm. Um, and well, let me, I'll circle back. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I did not really know what this was about, but I was like, okay, well, it's a Disney Pixar movie with Tom Holland and Chris Pratt and Julie Louis-Dreyfus doing voices. So it's probably going to just be a pretty standard, solid Pixar movie. And once I realized that once they started to unspool the premise um, that you already have like the dead parent factor woven into the, the, the early, like the first act already, we're like, okay, so here are these two boys with their mom, the dad's dead. And then, you know, the boy hits the milestone birthday or whatever. 
And mom's like, oh, surprise. Uh, you know, there was this thing your dad left where, you know, you can bring him back for one day uh, whenever you hit a certain birthday. And as soon as I heard that, I was already like, oh, fuck this movie. Because that's such, such, such just like a desperately manipulative premise for a movie. And it's just like it, it just it just guarantees it is just brazen, brazen in the emotional manipulation. It does not come by it honestly. Um, like it just right at the outset. It's like, OK, here are the ways that we're going to make you cry in this movie. There's no surprise factor. Um, it's going to be about, you know, like if only you could be reunited with a dead parent, uh, which I think is shameless. Then whenever the mishap occurs, when they're bringing him back, and it turns out he's just going to be there from the waist down. Then I you got interested. <laughs> I mean, I, I I clocked it out. I was just like, let's see where we're working with here, and you know, not much. But uh, I was like, oh, I hate this. I did not find that to be amusing in any way. I just found it grotesque. I found it unsettling. It was. I found it very unsettling that we are dealing with the bottom half of a ghost scampering around for an entire movie. I did not like that. Uh, it made me uneasy. And when I realized, you know, when that happened in the first act, and then I suddenly could see, I just could see the rest of the movie rolling out in front of me. And I could see that the whole movie was now going to be them trying to figure out how to get the rest of him. And I knew that that was not really, you know, given the way the plots work, was not going to happen until like the final frame. I was like, oh, I hate this so much. <laughs> uh, this is a horrible, horrible, horrible idea for a movie. Like this is it's, it's like more of a short film. Like it should have been like, mm, you know, yeah. it remind, in like, like in that kind of grotesqueness, you know, it reminded me a little bit of, of Bao. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, of like this kind of this kind of adding this this sort of semi grotesque, uh, you know, magical realism Four. element to a parent child story. Um, you know, like in that case, it's you know, like her, you know, the mother eating her son as a dumpling. Uh, and you know, in this, it's oh yeah, my dead dad's just his bottom half. Um, it's like well, join the club. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what dad's really more than the bottom half if you really think about it, but. Um, so yeah, I, I did not enjoy it. Uh, I did not think that it was funny at all. Um, I did not think that it was charming. It was just another case of like, uh Oh, some guy at Pixar is sad and he's going to make a sad movie about how he's sad. Um, so it really brought out a very, very unempathetic part of me. <laughs> I see this. I feel uh, like if it wasn't a, it is it is quite a bl black eye for a Pixar movie for this to be a Pixar movie, like in except for, like the, the, the character's hair is very well animated. I have to say, uh, we, we did notice that like, wow, it looks like very realistic hair for yes. an elf boy. Um, <laughs> but it's not, it does not have any of the, the weight of like the classic Pixar movies. And I, and I feel like even with, um, uh, what was the one with the feelings? <laughs> Coco. No, <laughs> <laughs> the one oh, where they live in San Francisco and there's like the anger. And oh, the Inside Out. Inside Out. <laughs> oh, I thought, meant, I thought you meant the one with your feelings. Uh, oh, no, 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 Coco no. Coco's no. the one that I was sitting there just minding my business thinking like, oh, this is nice, I guess. And then turned to you and saw you full body heave sobbing. <laughs> well, that animal could have been teacup. <laughs> I, I um, remember you saying that through choked sobs. Yep. 
uh, Inside Out also kind of didn't carry through uh, with the emotional story that it was meant to tell. Um, but it still was kind of like big and um, bright and a little different. This yeah. one is just really seems like a straight to DVD. Um, you know, I don't know, not Disney, not Pixar type movie. Um, yeah. I think that it's the the thing is I feel like the story where, where it ends up going and it, it being about brothers uh, was wonderful. It just it sucks that it took all this. You're right, like bullshit, uh, weird, manipulative story to get there. Yeah. Uh... You know, I feel like I, I do like the the way that the final the way that the climax plays out, I thought was like far and away the most interesting part of the movie. Um, and I did think that it it did it with sort of admirable restraint. And uh, but I just felt like you know, the whole setup to get there was just a waste of fucking time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I and I wonder how much you enjoyed it just because you had so much dread uh, going into it, and then you felt such relief watching it that it was not going to be pulling any of those triggers for you. It took a while, though. The first part, I was just like, "Oh my god, can we turn this off? This is mm-hmm. everything is just so upsetting, and I do not care about what's going on." Um, yeah. I think I just found like I think the the animation for like the the body capture and the voice acting of Chris Pratt mm-hmm. is so good. It really feels like he's there, and he's yeah. so endearing in this kind of role. You know, he has the same kind of like charm that he brings to guardians of the galaxy where you feel for him and he just has this like energy of goodness and 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 uncomplicated love and sincerity i feel like really sucked me in yes uh, and he is like an animal in that way so of course he... <laughs> so that of course that brings you right in um i will also say i did not know until the end credits rolled that that was julie louis dreyfus voicing the mom because there's just nothing about the performance that remind me of her nothing nothing about the performance and they didn't uh, animate you know, her again like the, the voice there's this one part where chris like the chris pratt brother like does this hand thing and i'm like oh my god it looks like it looks so much like him this i want to talk to your manager mom does not look oh. like julie louis dreyfus <laughs> such a karen they really oh. really animated her into such a karen Mm-hmm. And my girlfriend <laughs> kept talking about we, every time like her and the Manticore would go place, she would just yell, Mom Quest. <laughs> <laughs> Mom Quest. <laughs> yeah. Mom Quest. Mom Quest. And I was I did also enjoy the vocal performance of Octavia Spencer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I think but we, that character was weird. Yeah. It it none of this makes any sense. No, it's uh, not. It's an interesting premise. And then also has that weird Pixar thing of um, of sort of like feeling like it's vaguely trying to scold contemporary society as if we've all let ourselves mm-hmm. down in some way. Yeah. Um, you know, like similarly to like The Incredibles, um, which I have never personally enjoyed that much just because it's always felt like a vein of sort of a vaguely Ayn Rand style kind of <laughs> dressing down of, uh, of, of, uh, contemporary society saying, you know, we should all just be strong, rugged individualists and just tell everyone else to fuck off with their mediocrity. Um, 
And this one too, you know, the setup is that these are all like we were talking about earlier. These are all elves and magical monsters and whatnot who have since forsaken their special skills and their magic um, because technology took it away because we don't need to use our our skills anymore because technology does everything for us. And, you know, part of me is always like when it comes to a Pixar movie, I'm just like, you guys know you're fucking Pixar, right? <laughs> like you are part of big tech. You are part of Silicon Valley. Fucking yeah. get off it already. Like go back to hand drawing your cartoons. Then. Yeah. Put your money where right? your goddamn mouth is, Pixar. Also, you did this with Wally. It's done. Yeah, exactly. And Wally is untouchable. Wally exactly. is untouchable. Uh so, you know, and that was that was not, you know, an anti-tech missive so much as a, you know, global warming missive. So, True. you know, and and I, I need to revisit that movie soon, I think. But uh, yeah, this this one really, I, I agree with you that it felt I like watching it streaming. I was like watching it streaming for free. I was like, yeah, watching this movie streaming for free is the only way to watch this movie. No one should pay to watch this movie. I, I'm so glad that I didn't pay to watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, so like glad. I'm and I'm relieved because it would have been my fault that you would have like parted with that $20 just oh, to no, I would have been fucking awkward. um what do you so is that is that the new rating it's is it uh binge it consume moderation send it back and only watch it for free if you already have the service (laughs) that's good um i feel like that is uh i wonder if that's above send it back then like you know i wonder because it's like which one's the worst rating yeah because if you're saying send it back it's like don't even watch it for free right because your time is worth more than that yeah also um, this would be weird to watch with kids like coco is hard to watch with kids but also important to watch with kids this Mm -hmm. one's just weird to watch with kids again they really i think that that's where the lens of it being emotionally manipulative is really shitty if you have to Mm -hmm. watch with kids it's like what's what are you trying to tell what's the story you're trying to tell Right. Like to first off to introduce children to the absolutely bone chilling concept when you're a child that your parent could die. Uh, And then to do this really fucked up grotesque thing where you reduce one that child's parents to just a bottom half scrambling around wordlessly, um, yet still meant to be in some way real. Yeah, I just don't I don't I don't understand. I don't understand at all. Um, for me, this is a send it back. It's not even a watch for free. It's a full on send it back. Like I want nothing to do with this movie ever again. (laughs) Um, I'm somewhere between watch it for free without kids and send it back. Um, I do think the Chris Pratt, like the ending is, is very sweet. And, um, but yeah, it's a really, there's a lot of stuff to spend your time watching. Yeah, I guess send it back. I mean, you came into this feeling positive. I don't want to take that away from you. <laughs> if you want no, to say, but then, you know. that's my own journey, though, of really dreading it. I think that if you if you weren't dreading it uh, and you were just like, I have, you know, two hours. It's also like you know, a, the time of a full movie. It's almost two hours. Oh, oh yeah. Um, this movie feels endless. Endless. <laughs> like it, it feels <laughs> endless. Like I remember pausing it once thinking it was near the end and it was like 38 minutes in. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think it's to send it back. Okay. Yeah. Send it back. Well, okay. Maybe <laughs> it's watch it for free. Watch it for free. Okay. Without kids. Watch it free. No kids okay. around. Um, but this is also one of the movies I feel like the theme of this week is like teenagers without agency. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, I guess, yeah, there is kind of a focus here. There's a through line here of, yeah, teenagers with varying 
degree degrees of, of agency in their lives. I feel like extraordinary is the one that has the least amount of teenager, but she also has the least amount of agency. That's very true. Um, so I do think that is the through line. Um, to really uh, hit that one home is our next movie, uh, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Faced with an unintended pregnancy and a lack of local support, Autumn and her cousin Skylar traveled across state lines to New York City on a fraught journey of friendship, bravery, and compassion. So this movie uh, is one of the movies that would have gotten a, a pretty major um, art house theatrical rollout um, if movie theaters still existed. This was a, this was a major Sundance premiere back in January, and uh, and it was picked up by I believe Focus Features, and uh, so and this is actually one of the last movies that I saw um, that 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 second week of March. Uh, when, you know, in San Francisco, we were like kind of starting to really buckle down, but we didn't have the full shelter in place order yet. Um, I, but I was, we were already working from home if possible. So I saw three screenings the Monday and Tuesday of that week. Um, and one of them was this, another one was first cow, <laughs> uh, which I don't know what's happening with first cow, but that's a really great movie. Hopefully it'll get a, oh, a, right. a proper premium VOD release soon but so yeah so this movie uh, is one of the ones that I saw this is written and directed by one of my favorite favorite filmmakers uh, who's emerged in recent years her name is Eliza Hitman um, and she previously made uh, the movies It Felt Like Love and Beach Rats did we do Beach Rats on this show? I don't think so okay um and uh, and so now, and you know, in the, those two movies were both sort of um, in their own ways about sort of this, the inextricable link between sex and danger, and uh, and now uh, this kind of feels like an extension of that, <laughs> uh, as we have this young teenage girl, uh, and in both both of those movies as well, were about um, young uh, minor protagonists, and uh, and now we have this story um, about a teenage girl who is pregnant in small town Pennsylvania. And uh, and wants to procure an abortion and has to go on quite a journey uh, to attain what is a constitutional right. <laughs> is, is this anywhere close to where you're from in Pennsylvania? No, no. They're over there on the east side of the state. So this is taking, oh, okay. this is taking place over. I think they're like suburbs outside of Philly, maybe in this. Or maybe they're closer to Scranton. I can't remember exactly where um, they are in this, but no, over over on the east side. Pennsylvania is a very, very wide state. <laughs> so the east side and the west side of the state have nothing to do with each other. It is. It's shaped like a hoagie. <laughs> oh, I'm hungry. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, want to just take a break and eat a sandwich and watch that carbo karaoke? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> just throwing it out there. We'll, we'll be refreshed when we come back. <laughs> <laughs> think about it. Just think about it. Go on. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So this movie, um, it it could be viewed as being very political. Um, mm -hmm. It reminded me of um, of the documentary that you interviewed the filmmaker for, Trapped. Mm -hmm. uh, you interviewed your your girl Don, Don Porter, Porter. Mm -hmm. to uh, to talk about that documentary, which was about. Um, laws that are considered uh, trap laws, targeted regulation of abortion providers. And um, and so now we have this movie that is 
sort of about this journey of of uh, of this young girl and all the different roadblocks that are put in her path to attain to obtain an abortion in a country where abortion is fully legal. Yep. Uh, so in the thing that's uh, the movie that it reminded me of more than anything else is this Romanian drama from some years back called Four Months, Three Weeks and Two Days. Mm. Um, which is about a woman in Romania and the insane battlefield she has to fight across to get an abortion there where it is illegal. And the thing that's absolutely bone chilling is how similar these two movies are. Um, despite the fact that this one takes place in America in present day, and at least in the present day that we're in right now, it is still legal. For how much longer? Who knows? But for now it is. Um, and, uh, so, but the movie is by no means a polemic, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's very understated. It's not like a hitting you over the head, uh, with all the, you know, different sort of, uh, you know, logistical nightmares, um, that somebody who is of limited means, somebody who's a minor, somebody living in a rural area, uh, in a conservative area, all the things they have to go through, um, and all the ways that they are just sort of degraded uh, by the men in their culture along the way. Uh, it manages to tell that story without making it about that. It's ultimately more about the relationship between this this young girl and her cousin. And, uh, and, the, and the two of them go on a journey together uh, into New York to get an abortion. And uh, it, it does not happen as easily as they're hoping it's going to happen. So uh, what, are, what are some of your thoughts on this movie? Yeah. Um, so I watched actually Selling the Spades before I watched this one. So I'm gonna there was gonna be a little uh, reference to that one when when I was experiencing this because there's this part in Selling the Spades, the next movie we're gonna mm-hmm. talk about I think, um, where she Sella gives this kind of monologue about uh, when you're 17, uh, all, what people want from you, how they want you to dress, how they want you to act. If you do what you want to do, it's it's called slutty, but people want you to make your clothes this way and act this way and um and just had this very right she says something like when you're a 17 year old girl yeah she's like when you're a 17 year old girl you have to fight for whatever power you can have and hold on to with everything you've got and in that in in that way the movie is very you know uh explicit and it has these kind of you know it's these monologues and and it illustrates a lot of things more clearly where this uh movie is just way it's way more realistic and it doesn't have those long periods of dialogue at all but Mm -hmm. it is the the exact you know representation of that sentiment and every um it's a it's a small quiet movie there there isn't these aren't very communicative teenagers Mm -hmm. um so much is said with uh this actress's you know the way she carries herself her and her cousin like they Mm -hmm. they probably exchanged 20 lines of dialogue Mm-hmm. not counting like do you have the ticket you know right. um and but everything is said in the way they are they interact with people in their families and in society and um and just with their eyes and their body and um you really see because everything is so so little happens i think it again in, in a way that doesn't like hit you over the head that's obvious but if if you're paying attention like every interaction she has with any like male figure mm-hmm. is um a, her, her like sexuality or her gender and she doesn't have any control and there's a very questionable relationship at home mm-hmm. 
And it's just boys making fun of her, pushing her around, um, calling her names. She's trying to... The one thing she does do is she's a singer. The movie starts off with her giving the singing performance. And it's interrupted by, you know, some asshole teenager um, calling her a slut. And that, like, really sets the tone for the whole movie. She she has no voice. She tries this one time. Doesn't well. Um, and that's kind of like how she's even treated by some of the women in her town when she goes to the original uh, or the, the clinic in her town for uh, counseling about what to do with her pregnancy. They give her incorrect information and it's definitely a place that, you know, leans towards um, adoption or keeping the child and doesn't provide anything except lies and, and propaganda about what abortion does to you. And then mm-hmm. she's forced to go to New York. So it's, I mean, I, I think that it, you know, it is, it is billed as a story about her and her cousin and her cousin's, um, you know, ability to be there for her. But to me, it still is more of a story about um, how, what it's like to interact in society as a 17 year old teenager with no money and no voice mm-hmm. and just re- like relying on how people treat you. Yeah. No, I, I think it, it is very much that. It is very much that. Um, this is definitely a work of of, of particularly gritty, unvarnished uh, social realism. Uh, you know, it's definitely not a movie with a, a pronounced sense of humor <laughs> or anything like that. <laughs> um, but, you know, it is still, there is this kind of very earned, lived-in uh, warmth in the relationship between the two girls. Uh, and, you know, even the way that they fall out with each other at times, uh, it all feels mm-hmm. very real. And certainly that's definitely one thing about, you know, because I'm, I'm not from eastern rural Pennsylvania, but I'm very much from southwestern rural Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, growing up without, uh, you know, cousins in uh, in the same school district as me, you know, was was very much an outsider. Um, it, you know, where I'm from, it was pronounced cousint, cousint. Everybody's like, <laughs> oh, this is my cousin. There's my, there's my cousin. So everybody had their cousins around. And, um, you know, and the, these these two girls, they cast them so perfectly because goddamn, do they look exactly like what you would picture these like two teen, two white teenage girls who are working at the same grocery store in like rural Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is very it feels it's very, very uncanny. And uh, and it's true that there's not a lot of dialogue and you really do have to. But and, but at no point did I feel like I was being kept out of the journeys that they're on because of their, you know, their expressions and because of their body language. Uh, and, uh, you know, and there is this the title comes from uh, a particularly well executed scene mm. uh, where our protagonist is a. Uh, going through sort of an intake quiz um, at the um, at the facility in New York and has asked a battery of questions uh, with the answer options being never, rarely, sometimes, or always. And um, in just, uh, you know, and the questions are very personal. And, um, and it's only through those questions very late in the movie that you really start to get a, a fuller sense of what happened and of, uh, and of what her life has been. But just like the hardness on her face, you can just everything you need to know is right there. Like she she seems like she resents being asked about herself um, because she just never is. You know, she yeah. has she has taken it as her lot in life to suffer silently without questioning it and without saying a word. And um, and so that this woman has the audacity to ask her questions about that 
Um, it almost seems to make her angry before she just starts to cave a little bit. But uh, I think this is just some people have said that it's sort of like it follows more of a hero's journey formula. Um, it is. I mean, it's not like anything I've 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 seen in American cinema in recent years. It is because it has that kind of it is it is somewhat it's suspenseful uh, because once we get to New York, uh, basically these these girls are sort of informed more or less right away that it's going to take a, a couple of days um, and they are not really prepared for that. And so now we're just staying with these girls as they're trying to, you know, sleep at Port Authority and maybe meet people who will like take them someplace. But then who knows what danger that will present. So it really is an odyssey. It's a full on odyssey movie. And uh, and yeah, and it's it's suspenseful and it's impactful it's incredibly well acted. It's very sensitive and very nuanced with the writing and the direction. Um, and, you know, and more than anything else, it is very much, it puts the viewer into the shoes of this, of this person, of this sort of disadvantaged, vulnerable person. And, you know, it forces us to face a lot of facts about how things, the direction things are moving in with abortion laws in the country. Um, and some people will cheer that, you know, um, there are elements of it that did remind me of Citizen Ruth, which we, <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. um, especially the, uh, the initial facility she goes to, um, remind me of whenever, um, Laura Dern's character is taken by Mary Kay Place into the local conservative facility there. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, uh, congratulations. Looks like you've got a baby on the way. How about that? Uh, and you know, <laughs> and she's like, are you people fucking deaf? I want a fucking abortion. <laughs> um, and then Ruth, do you like movies? I have a movie I'd like to show you <laughs> and then show her the terrifying propaganda video about babies being killed. Uh, so, but yeah, it, it's, it's, a, I think it's a really remarkable achievement. This movie. I don't know if you, if you're, what your overall take on it was, or if you were just like, that was really unpleasant. Um, it was hard to watch. For yeah. sure. Um, and I think that um, it really, I don't know, it kind of brought it even more clear how kind of crazy it is that um, there's so much that goes into asking her. And, and this this is something that, that happens around, you know, medical procedures, you know, trying to make sure that she is not getting this abortion at the at the request of somebody else this is like you know constant um check-in to make sure that like this is her choice this is what she wants to do and given that the circumstance is so clearly not good for her or any potential child to be brought into that there isn't a count that the counter argument right is so like to dissuade her from getting an abortion i don't know it's such a i feel like the situation makes it so clear that the balance there that that this like protection um of i don't even know i don't it just it doesn't make any sense i mean Mm. like we knew it doesn't make any sense we knew it didn't make any sense but this movie makes the situation makes it all the more clear that it really would be so terrible for everybody involved to have this kid right right so yeah so it sounds like watching this movie you were very much kind of drawn more into thinking about the issues and, you know, just getting into arguments in your head with, uh, you know, with the various people who uh, orchestrate uh, and institutionalize the issues that this character runs into. 
Yeah, I guess I was just wondering if this would would sort of make anybody rethink their position on this. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I I wonder. I yeah. mean, I, it's an art house movie, so who knows what the, the audience <laughs> thing it is. But yeah, no, I mean, I can't imagine any uh, anti choice people being like, "Oh yeah, let me let me pony up some money to watch Never Rarely Sometimes Always." <laughs> They're um, too busy spending it all on onward. Exactly, and even if they were to watch it, uh, you know, the, the thing, you know, the movie is you know, nuance enough that like you could watch it and and the people who she sees at her local uh, clinic are not presented as villains. Um, you know, like they are like, well, you know, there's a lot of people who want to adopt and I'm sure that right. you know, a lot of anti-choice people would just be like, right, exactly. Just have the baby. Someone will adopt it. People want to have babies. But yeah, I think that, you know, if, if nothing else, this movie is, I think a great sort of time capsule piece for like where America is on this issue in 2020 as fucking mm. insane as that is um you know that this many years on from roe v wade this is where we are with it and getting more precarious by the day um but uh yeah, but that all just, aside yeah go ahead go ahead no it's just this this situation where it's this it's kind of um and maybe for the the the, the folks who would watch this sort of art house movie you know i think it could easily be a, a kind of person and in, in a socioeconomic situation that you would look down on or make fun of and you know probably represents a a portion of the country that doesn't align with you politically right but it's like regardless of that you still have a a young woman who still doesn't have any choice in anything um and you know will have would have to continue to be in a system of underemployment and um I, i don't know i don't know it is you're right it is exactly a a story of america right now yeah for sure and uh, so it sounds like you're saying maybe it was just too real. <laughs> it was too real. It was too real. Yeah. Yeah. Ingu had a similar piece of feedback after she, we were at the same screening of it. And um, and we had watched that back to back after First Cow. And First Cow had thoroughly delighted her. And then I think <laughs> she was and then I think she resented this movie because it just dragged her right back down to earth. Just sort of uh, reminds you of like... Uh, you know, just I mean, grew, grew up as a teenage girl, and it's like there is a that is very it's a very familiar story that it tells very well, and I don't know I feel like maybe it's the quarantine, maybe it's my age, <laughs> but um, it's like I just want the right people to see these movies. Like I feel like I wouldn't have to see this movie because I know this story. Um, well, I, I mean, I'm not saying that I ha- this is my story, but like I don't need to be told this story right, right. Like you're, I, you're, I know you're, it you're exists in the choir, right you're like don't preach to me so many people that need to see the story and i just wish that they would it's great well well with that with that said we should uh, i i for one am giving it a binge it um yeah. and, and not just because i think it has not because i share its politics but because i really do think it's just an incredibly well-made movie um it's definitely not an escapist movie um, although it might be escapist because they get to go to New York and right and right about now that sounds real fun, doesn't it? Um, I mean, or maybe it for doesn't. that guy uh, to meet. Yeah, exactly. Uh, such a good character of showing what it's like to anyway. Yeah, that guy. Go on. He, that guy is on um, on becoming a god in Central Florida, and I have a big crush on him from that show. <laughs> and uh, so to watch him playing a predatory dirtbag, I was like, good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, this is this is a binge it for me. I think that I mean, it's like to your point, it's not easy to watch, um, but it is, I think, a really important drama. But it's also not sanctimonious at all. It is it remains mm. very understated uh, throughout. 
and um, and it just it tells a really important story in a very impactful way using an incredible cast of young unknowns uh, who just do indelible work. Um, and so Eliza Hitman remains just a, a terrific young filmmaker um, to watch. Agree. Uh, definitely a binge it for me as well. Um, okay, so the next movie, it was it was going to be Extraordinary, but we're going to skip on to Selena and the Spades because I do think they these two go well together. And we'll circle uh, hope back you don't mind to, Yeah, we'll yeah. circle back to Extraordinary to wrap up. Mm-hmm. So Selena and the Spades. In the closed world of an elite Pennsylvania boarding school, the student body is run by five factions. 17-year-old Sela Summers runs the most dominant group, the Spades, with unshakable poise. Tensions between the factions escalate, and when Sela's best friend, right-hand man Maxie, becomes distracted by a new love, Sela takes on a protege, an amorous sophomore, Paloma, whom she imparts her wisdom on ruling the school. But with graduation looming and Paloma proving an impressive quick study, Sela's fears turn sinister as she grapples with losing the control by which she defines herself. So here we have, again, young women in Pennsylvania, but it couldn't be a more different story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the same, but also a completely different world. Maybe that's the right way to phrase that. We have this elite boarding school. Um, and the story here is semi-realistic, semi... Mm, I don't know. What's Heightened. the word I'm looking for, Jason? Stylized. Heightened? Stylized. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, I was expecting it to be. I wasn't sure how to how to navigate because I wasn't sure if it was going to be a comedy. It almost had like a. It starts off very more stylized, right? So it almost has like a Wes Anderson Rushmore, Rushmore or like a people dear white Brick. people. Yeah, people also compare it to Ryan Johnson's movie Brick, the sort of like mm-hmm. teen hard boiled teen film noir. Right. And they go through this like exercise of explaining these uh, five factions in this very official way that makes it seem like um, it isn't going to be realistic. Yes. The setup of this movie and the way this movie concludes, I think, are are very different things. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, It is a movie that starts off feeling very light uh, and very sort of like arch and satirical. Um, but then as the story goes on, um, it gets much more serious and very severe and kind of unexpectedly brutal, um, Mm -hmm. as it becomes more and more of a sort of a, a gangster mobster movie, um, taking place in this elite prep school. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it, the, the style is all there. The style is incredible. Um, the cinematography of this movie is a dream. Beautiful. Uh, the editing, the music, the art direction, uh, you know, the, this this beautiful, talented young cast, uh, you know, this this lead actress who plays Sela. Her name is Lovey Simone. And I yeah, I think this is her first major role. And wow, is she every I mean, yeah, she's fantastic. The young actress who plays Paloma, her new mm-hmm. disciple is is incredible. Um, we have uh, Jarell Jerome from Moonlight and When They See Us. Uh, so it's a it's a very very gifted young cast, and uh, and these on uh, these these three leads uh, are all these are all African American actors, and uh, and this is a filmmaking debut of a of a filmmaker named Ayurisha Poe, 
And and what's interesting when you say that this is the exact opposite of never rarely uh, is that it is in every conceivable way because, you know, that's also that's about poor whites and this is about wealthy black characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least two of the we we know that um, Paloma we know was a uh, they there's talk about how she was a scholarship, uh, mm-hmm. so so we get she might be from a different socioeconomic background than uh, than Sela and Maxie. Uh, so and the movie itself is is sort of interestingly disinterested in the subject of race, mm-hmm. um, as it pertains to these characters in this setting. Um, which presumably was a, an intentional choice by the filmmaker to just be like, N- I'm I'm not going to make it about the fa- their race. Like that's that's not I'm not going to make this about that. This is I'm going to tell the story in sort of a more of a colorblind casting way and let it play out uh, in 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 that regard, uh, which which is a unique approach and very much different from dear white people in that sense. Um, so, but yeah, so we have what seems like at first, maybe a sort of a dark comedy, you know, high school movie, which you, you would think right up my alley, um, <laughs> you know, about, about a queen bee, uh, you know, Sella is very much the queen bee of the school and, you know, she heads up this faction that is responsible for basically selling everyone drugs, uh, and uh, all the different factions have their own function, and yeah, that's all very much laid out in a very Wes Anderson storybook way at the beginning of the movie. Um, and and then yeah, and then as the story go, goes on, uh, yeah, there's there's these sort of interesting fourth wall breaking things. There's a lot of like Sella looking straight into the camera. Um, you know, there's this very artful footage of of Sella and the cheerleading squad. Um, and uh, but then yeah, then and, and it's like okay, cool. So it's gonna be about this queen bee taking on this new protege. Uh, to sort of train her up and prepare her to take over when Sella graduates. Uh, and then, yeah, it just kind of takes a series of dark turns in the second half and, uh, and, and you know, suddenly is kind of more or less a mobster movie. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, I feel like it's maybe slightly underwritten. Um, and it is also one of those movies that kind of ends right when it starts to get interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is like, this such like this indie hallmark cliche at this point it's like it's like you're just picturing the filmmaker being like in right there so people are gonna be like look something's happening and then cut to black um so that was fascinating i was intrigued by the dynamic between Sela and paloma um i don't know right. I, I was picking up on what I thought was, to me, it was such such overt homoeroticism that I was shocked the movie didn't actually go in that direction. Ultimately, agreed, agreed. Um, I, I I thought for sure that's where it was going. I, I felt like they had um, you know these sort of conversations about relationships, um, and and maybe that was kind of a, a a clever red herring to make you think that's where it was going. But it but it was ultimately what their relationship ended up being was that not only was she saying that she she didn't want to um, be vulnerable for a romantic relationship, but she like has proven that she is so incapable of having any kind of trust and even a friendship um, that she time and time and again, you know, sabotages those at the first, you know, inkling of, you know, this disloyalty, mm-hmm. lack of loyalty. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. It, but it did, it did make you feel like it was going down a romantic road. But right. Very. That one... I'm very clearly, she's not ready for that. Yeah, she that, knows that herself was... enough to know that she's not ready for that. 
Yeah, that that one scene in particular of Sela and Paloma when they're sort of talking what feels very much like coded language um, about like, oh, well, have you, you know, lost your virginity or, you know, have you, what about you? Do you date boys? You know, it just felt very like, okay, like, you know, it's taking a turn into the wolf video. But, uh, <laughs> but, then, <laughs> but then it steers right back out of that uh, and goes in a in a in a much more ambiguous direction. But yeah, no, it does felt like, you know, I saw some critics comparing Sella to very much like a Lady Macbeth character. Um, you know, to me, it also remind me of um, Queen Elizabeth I mm. and a sort of, you know, the trajectory mm-hmm. of that story where, you know, by the end, she has to make herself the virgin queen um, because for her to have romantic entanglements with anyone just weakens her um, and makes her more vulnerable to her attackers and to her uh, dissenters. So she must just she she cannot she is not permitted to be a woman who is has a sex life or a romantic life and also be a leader. Um, and so she makes the sacrifice to just formally sort of close herself off and, you know, powder herself into the the virgin queen so that she can have respect and not be questioned. And um, and that's 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 what I was reminded of by Sela's approach to um, being a young leader uh, in the school and and having zero interest in a in a love life i'm interested by um your comment about race and Mm -hmm. it not really being a part of the movie i i'm not sure i agree the so much about this is that um all of the factions take their factionists and their leadership of it and its importance in the uh social ecosystem of the school very seriously you know again that's Mm -hmm. like part of the the stylistic part is that they take it so seriously and they have these council you know, meetings and there's this very like adult like behavior about you know, their responsibilities for one faction to get the test scores, you know, for cheating and one faction to set up parties and one faction to, you know, uh, protect all the factions from the authorities. And then Sailor's faction, which is like procurement of drugs and alcohol and, and like, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've, feel like there there are periods in time where Sela's talking about you know protecting her faction in a way that you know talks about everyone else coming for them and it it could be uh interpreted as just like you know in a in a in a crime war you know mob boss faction mm-hmm. type way mm-hmm. but then there was a part of it that was very like you you know you think they they respect us because they like us because they want what's best for us um i felt like it could have gone either way that she could be talking about people of color or she could be talking about um just you know a faction relationships um it wasn't very clear to me that that it wasn't about race right yeah i mean i think that I think that, you know, just objectively speaking, you know, any there's no real there's no overt discussion of race in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I do think one one thing that I, th- I think is there is um, is sort of the double standard uh, that Sela feels. I think what you what, what I felt like I was seeing at work with her, uh, you know, is that kind of that famous black parent speech of, you know, you have to, you know, work twice as hard to get half as far. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we see one scene between Sel and her mother, and that scene is enough to show us that her mother is very much that that just demanding, unforgiving um, parent who is, you know, who is has made Sela into the pathological perfectionist that she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, 
And uh, so that was more where I read um, sort of like an, uh, an unspoken racial dynamic into it uh, was just like the ruthlessly high standards that Sela holds herself to um, as like this this dynamic young black leader at this elite boarding school, which is more which is traditionally not as much of a black space. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Jesse Williams plays the principal mm-hmm. in the school. Yes, always, um, always happy to look at that pretty face. I, he is beautiful. Beautiful man. He's beautiful man. Um, I think at the end of the day, you're you're right. It is a bit underwritten. Um, it's funny how much you kind of need a movie to tell you how to feel a little bit. <laughs> and in this movie, the swing between is this a comedy? Is this uh, a romance? Is this uh, okay? It's turning into some like crime film um a little unsettling and it made it hard for me to really like enjoy the movie um and then it turns it takes a turn to some kind of unrealistic i think um unpredictable moves that i also felt um just sort of unsettled and unsatisfied at the end yeah yeah i mean this movie is this movie is all atmosphere all atmosphere Mm. um you know so if you if you're able to just like sit back and not care too much about a plot um or like you know like how the story is structured um and if you can just surrender to really just gorgeous atmosphere um in you know in all manners of atmosphere in different tones from sort of swooning romantic to very dark and very menacing the movie has the atmosphere but it is i think it is in that the writing of sella is just not strong enough to set up what happens in the in the final act Mm -hmm. like i think it's just you know stella's the choices that she makes in the final act of this movie um and the sort of just where the movie leaves her i just don't know that it really set it up in a believable way that that feels earned or like expected uh like to me it felt jarring um you know uh it just didn't feel yeah it didn't feel earned agree um, that said, as a, um, as an atmosphere to watch during quarantine, I'm still giving it a consume plus. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. This is very much at least a consume plus, if not a binge minus. Uh, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. this is, this is a, this, this is a definitely a, a new filmmaker to watch. This is a really impressive calling card for a first feature film. Um, I read something that maybe that Amazon, this is uh, an Amazon title. Um, this, this like blow the man down um, is sort of these, these different indie titles that Amazon had acquired and was going to be doing theatrical rollouts for, but is now just premiering on the service. Um, and I've read that they are possibly looking at turning this into a series, which I think would make perfect sense. I think just mm. like, just like dear white people before it, uh, I think it could lend itself really, really well to uh, the episodic format. So I would, I would very much watch that if they do it. But as a feature, it's imperfect, but it's really, really promising, and I think worth a watch. Definitely. Um, actually, we didn't talk about any of these movies. What they're, um, what they're streaming on. I should have said that earlier. We did talk about Onward being on Disney Plus. Yeah. Um, but it's also purchasable from all of the kind all of usual major places. streams. Um, never rarely, sometimes always is available to also rent from Apple TV or Google play. Um, and it's on Amazon though. If you do have the Amazon prime subscription, uh, no, that uh, is... it's, it's not included in prime. No, it's just, it's, it's not. just, 
No, no, that 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 one's not an Amazon title. No. Um, so it's, oh, it's available. right. You're right. Sella is, though. Yes. Yeah. But never rarely is available to rent from all the online, uh, all the places that you would rent uh, an on-demand movie. Gotcha. Um, and then Sella and the Spades is uh, available for, is included in Prime. Um, and then I assume also rentable on others i think it's just i think it's an amazon exclusive title i think they it's mm-hmm. just you can just stream it on prime that's it that's it well get <laughs> thee to the primes i guess huh <laughs> um anyway uh our last movie of the week um this is my pick of the week jason uh you mean of the month oh right yeah look <laughs> at that <laughs> yes i do mean the month uh, my pick of the month would be Never Rarely. Um, but really, yes, but uh, but proceed. Yeah. So my pick of the month is uh, Extraordinary. Rose, a mostly sweet and lonely Irish driving instructor, must use her supernatural talents to save the daughter of Martin, also mostly sweet and lonely, from a washed-up rock star who is using her in a satanic pact to reignite his fame. This movie is. Hilarious. Um, I I don't know. This was such a delight. I did not see it coming. Um, I couldn't be more thrilled to uh, give this movie a binge plus pick of the month. Jason, what's wrong with you? (laughs) No, I like this movie very much. I like this movie very much. Um, Yeah, this is... uh, This is a really funny, funny Irish supernatural comedy... It very it, to me it was very reminiscent of um, of Edgar Wright's Cornetto trilogy, uh, of you know World's End, Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead. Uh, it remind me of the the sense of humor from those movies, but not as bombastic as those movies get. Uh, this is uh, yeah I, I I did not I, I I laughed a lot. I think I did not laugh as much as you did, but oh. I did oh. I did still I did enjoy the humor of the movie. It did make me laugh out loud a few times. Uh, I think a lot more of it was more of just like a quiet laughter. But uh, but yeah, this is for me, this movie is all about the lead actress. Oh, 100%. Uh, a brilliant comedian, Maeve Higgins, uh, plays the character of Rose. And I, I, I could have watched her for another six hours um, just <laughs> puttering around and reacting to things. Uh, it, this is a this is a brilliant star making performance. The first time that we see her come home from her driving lesson and just like, and like just like unceremoniously drop her pants while walking to the refrigerator uh, and listening to her <laughs> voicemail. I was in love. I was just in love from that point onward. Um, I think it's a, it's a clever story. Uh, I think one issue that I had with it that I never quite got over was as much as I enjoy Will Forte and also Claudia or Doherty who plays his wife. Um, I felt like their part of the movie felt like a different movie than the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, to mm-hmm. me, it felt a little kind of weirdly tacked on because they weren't even the only supernatural storyline. So it wasn't like they were even needed um, because this this the character played by Barry Ward, who I found very handsome. Um, the <laughs> this sort of the the this lovelorn <laughs> this lovelorn widower um, is being haunted by his very vengeful uh, dead wife. And uh, and so he already needs like there we already have the need for uh, Rose to go and to be called back into the game, uh, even though she's been trying to avoid 
um, interacting with supernatural elements because she, you know, because of something that happened with her as a child as a, as a result of it. Uh, <laughs> so funny. <laughs> you're, so uh, funny. I'm sure listeners are thinking like, oh, that sounds like a traumatic thing. And you're like, that's hilarious. <laughs> Couldn't be more different than Onward. Let me just say. <laughs> um it's true it's true um yeah this is a this is a dead dad movie that i can get down with (laughs) (laughs) um but uh but yeah so she you know we already have this thing in the story that's like dragging her the tree try to get out they're pulling her back in um i actually i saw one review that smartly pointed out this movie is sort of like a quiet uh rebuttal of all like the stupid controversy over the female ghostbusters movie uh, because she plays a female ghostbuster and, uh, you know, and it's just all about her and, uh, and it's just, it's great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so the, the entire storyline with Will Forte as this washed up one hit wonder, um, who's now a Satanist, uh, you know, it just all felt very to me. Yeah. It just felt like a different movie. It's just like, so when, when the two different movies start to kind of converge, to me, it was a bumpy ride and it didn't totally work organically. Um, they were two different funny movies, but funny in different kind of ways and were a little awkward to to bring together. That's, that's really my only um, issue with the movie. Um, I would have been perfectly happy to have just watched Rose and her and Barry Ward's character as they sort of like bump along um, and go around like the Irish countryside assessing various, you know, hauntings and possessions like i would have been perfectly perfectly fine just watching that yeah it had like a weird it almost like at a maybe like an oldie timey scooby-doo feel to it where you <laughs> yeah. have this kind of like menacing character kind of over on the side um that seems secondary but ends up being primary to the plot um it is it is weirdly paced how those stories interact um but i think they're they're both funny and at the end when they come together it's just i don't i don't know i i see i agree that it isn't doesn't feel really organic that they're the same story or they end up being in the same movie mm-hmm. but um i f- i feel like they it it doesn't detract from it and it and it does add moments of of him being hilarious um yeah. and and <laughs> and his wife as well yeah. um what i don't know i just found this to be laugh out loud funny and um delightful and sweet and the the sort of the surprise that happens at the end when with the uh, the actor um that plays the father martin martin um <laughs> where they sort of get in a snafu around uh around the spells that they're casting uh-huh. is so good and so perfect and also just like how they sort of problem solve the final <laughs> the final uh yes. problem of the movie is unexpected <laughs> and hilarious yeah. and and you have to see this movie. Yeah, that I will say that as I was watching, I was like, I have not seen this before. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what you always love in a movie. It's have true. you seen this movie before, Jason? <laughs> yeah, no, no. I have that. That I mean, there there are moments that are familiar, but overall, no. Uh, it, it's yeah, it's a real it's a real treat. Um, you know, it's it's yeah, it's a real treat. Uh, it's it's a just great supernatural comedy. Great sort of just yeah, understated Irish sense of humor. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it very much. (laughs) So you gave it a binge plus. Uh, I do give it a binge plus. (laughs) Yes. Uh, and I will give it a binge it as well. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I, cause I found, I, I found that in general, 
um, during this time. I've had more of a, I've had kind of a low ceiling on like the positive feelings I have when I watch stuff. You know, like I mm. like I, I you know, like I don't feel they don't make me as happy or I don't laugh as much. Um, I, I feel like my reactions to things have just been muted. Uh, so maybe that has something to do with it. But the fact just even that it managed to get me to laugh out loud, um, you know, I was like, OK, well, good job. You did it. <laughs> this, movie, <laughs> this movie is funny enough that on first viewing, I am laughing out loud at it. So uh, even in my current muted emotional palette. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I give it credit for that. Good. Good. Um, this one's also on um, uh, Amazon. No. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so it's available to rent on everything then. Apple TV, Google Play Movies, Amazon. Yes. Right? As of then? as of yes, as of as of May first, it's available uh, to rent. It's currently uh, available to purchase, uh, and then as of May first, it'll go into its rental window. Oh, so I own it. Uh, you possibly. Oh, no, awesome. no, no, because I, I sent you a, a streaming link. Oh, I don't think, did I use it? I think I I think I think rented it or purchased it. Oh, how cool. <laughs> I've been no. recommending this to everybody. I, I don't know. <laughs> this has just been just fantastic. Well, <laughs> I can't I'm, say enough nice things about it. I'm if, you're, if, more, if you're more muted, I feel more like delighted. I feel like in this time, I'm more like, oh, man, people are so funny. I love it. <laughs> So nice to see how funny people are and creative. Again, <laughs> with that said, I'm going to get out of here and watch that carpool karaoke. <laughs> I am, and I'm so hungry. Uh, <laughs> Jason, uh, I hope you take care. You as well. And uh, we'll do this again in a month. Sounds good. I know one of the uh, one of the things coming out next month is another would have been theatrical release. Um, the uh, the Lovebirds with Issa Rae and Kumail Nanjiani, I believe, right. is so coming. Many trailers for that. That exactly, and now uh, Netflix got it. So after all that, it's going to be premiering on Netflix at some point in May. So I think that'll be one of the ones we talk about next month, and we'll see uh, what else is uh, out there in the in the streaming world. Meanwhile, if there's anything you guys have been watching on streaming that you've been enjoying or that you want us to take a look at, uh, let us know. Jason is on Twitter at Excess Baggage. And I'm at Fight Balance. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, take care during this time. Bye. Bye, guys. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.